So today we're concluding our three-week study of the fear of man. So we thought about in various ways that we tend to struggle with the fear of man, and we kind of looked at last week how we see God, how we need to begin seeing God bigger than other people. But is that the end of the story? To see God bigger than people fear him and just to stop fearing other people. Well, that's not really quite it. I think whether the opposite response to fearing people is not to simply stop fearing them, but to love them. So I think as we talk through these things, it's good to, remo- to, to be reminded that growing in the fear of the Lord is, and love for others is not an overnight process. Uh, we, should, we should always seek to regularly repent and keep our eyes on Christ and confident that he will complete the work that he's begun in us. Um, so today we're, gonna, we're, gonna fo- we're focusing on how our vertical uh, fear of God affects our horizontal relationships with others. So your first point on your handout, there'll be six, uh, is a reorientation to God. So we are only able to understand what it means to love others instead of fearing them as we live in the reality of a changed relationship with God. So because he loved us, we fear and love him. Because he loved us, we need to love others. We have a debt of love towards others. So when I say we reorient, reorientation to God, I'm, what I'm saying is like we're taking our lives or if we've been so oriented to other things and focusing on more to that vertical relationship with the Lord. That's what I mean by that. So we need other people, but not, we don't need something from them. We need them so that we can love them. Um, was it Paul? Yeah. Uh, would you read, would you be going to uh, 1 John 4, um, verses 7 to 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 3? And as, as he's going to that, just be thinking about how John describes God, his love for us, and the example that, he, uh, that's, that provides for thinking about how to love others. And notice how important it is to understand how God acted towards us uh, if we are properly to relate to others. And notice the connection between love and fear in this passage. Fear. 
So God's love was costly. God's love sent Jesus to die on the cross. In his incarnation and atoning work, or saving work, Jesus provides the ultimate example of one that loved others in the most costly, difficult, and painful ways. As we think about what it means to love others instead of fearing them, we must first learn to understand God's love. So as we are reoriented to God, we recognize his gracious choice to love us. This doesn't boost our self-esteem. In fact, it devastates our pride. Notice in Ephesians 1, 5, 6, Paul says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul later says that because God's gracious work in election and granting faith, we have no room to boast. We have no room to boast. If God has so acted towards us, how can we act with anything less of than love towards others? If God has already accepted us in Christ, why do we still allow ourselves to be enslaved by a desire for acceptance of others? With this reorientation, we no longer look to people for acceptance. Instead, we look to others in such a way that they are pointed towards the acceptance that can be only be found in Christ. So I think we often, as college students, we want to make a name for ourselves in one way or another, whether that looks like trying to establish your name in a, in a sorority or fraternity so that people will maybe look at you bigger than maybe you really are. Or maybe you're going after that 4.0 GPA when others ask you, how's school going? And you just whip that 4.0 GPA and you're like, look how smart I am. The latter is not me. <laughs> but we do these things because we fear relationships with other people. We fear their opinion. Lecrae, one of, his, one of my favorite quotes of him, he says, quote, If you live for their acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. At the cross, we find this acceptance our hearts long for. When we lay down our lives to Christ by repenting and believing, it changes everything how we ought to approach with our relationships with others. Instead of living in this paralyzing fear of opinions of man, we can be free because our fear should be so consumed with God that it leaves us with no other option but to love others. Our primary goal to have relationships with other people is to love them and not to fear them. So finally, as we are reoriented to God, we're able to rejoice in the God that has accepted protected and covered his people. Ed Welch says this, God fills us. He pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God actually showers us with himself. It is not available to us when we had adopt this shape of a cup of psychological needs. That is, if we want to, to be filled with so 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 that we can be, feel happier and better about ourselves, then we will never truly be deluded with God's love. 
The cup of our own desires is never able to catch the flood of God's love and blessing. When the cup of I wants is broken, it leaves us with a number of shapes or identities that God has given us. Priests, ambassadors, children of God, and Christians. We think it's safer and more effective to look to other people to relieve our emptiness. That love we desire, however, can only be found in the living God. The love of God towards us is so radical, scandalous, free, and transformative that it not only changes our relationship with him, but it ought to and it will also change our relationship with others. Which leads, leads us to our, our next point. Reorientation to others. Because, God, because of God's costly love towards us, we can take big risks in our relationships with other people. Why? Well, Christian, you are so rooted in the love of God in Christ that acceptance and approval is not the foundation of which you stand. This is key. Our reorientation to God helps us see others' true value and function. Others were not created to be feared, but for us to love. This goes contrary to what you'll hear in our culture, where you'll hear things like, you need to look out for yourself, and you need to have your needs met. The worldly definition of success is not how many people are you, are serving, are, are you serving, but rather how many people are serving you. How contrary is this to Scripture? How contrary is that to be like Christ? So, what are the differences between loving and serving versus fearing and needing? Loving others is not necessarily the same thing as being nice to others, sacrificing for others, or saying yes to others. In fact, sometimes niceness, sacrifice, saying yes can be the clothing that our fear of man hides in. Sometimes loving others means uh, doing things that they will not immediately perceive or take as nice. Loving others will mean actually sometimes saying no. Loving others will certainly involve sacrifice. But as you'll see later in 1 Corinthians 13, sacrifice alone does not necessarily equal love and is not necessarily fueled by love. So maybe you feel an intense desire to give to others and to sacrifice for them, but it is down out of a desire to keep them pleased or to keep them from rejecting you. Maybe you sacrifice and give to those that should be taking or should be learning to take on more responsibility. This again may be a complete opposite uh, of what it means to love others. So friends, pray for wisdom and seek counsel to discern the difference between what it looks like to love to be loving and serving or are you fearing and needing? Pray for discernment in that. Loving others will not be easy. Welch also says this. Loving others makes life less comfortable. It means that I give up my own agenda for a Saturday morning in, in order to help a neighbor. It means that I get hurt when someone moves away. It means that people stay at our house when I prefer to be surrounded with my immediate family. Isn't that just like God's word? Just when we think we have adapted to a comfortable lifestyle, it messes everything up. It tells us to love others in the same way 
that we have been loved by God. So on to our third point. Who do we need to love and serve? Who do we need to love and serve? So scripture provides several categories of those that we are called to love. Here's the first one. God. God. As we have already considered the reorientation we have towards God, we are able now to do so, or do as Christ said in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 38. It says, And he said to him, You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the, first, this is the great and first commandment. So unlike the, the secular therapeutic culture we find ourselves in that knows no orientation towards God and stresses actually an inward orientation, that says something like, know thyself, to thine own self be true. That's what our culture tells us. But scripture points us the other way. It says, know your God, know and love your neighbor. So know your God, know and love your neighbor. So the second category is enemies. Enemies. These could be characterized as though uh, those people that, who want to harm you or have harmed you in the past. What I mean by harmed, I mean maybe it could be physical or it could be mental or, or whatever. But in Luke 6, 27 to 33, Christ says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do, to, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Friends, this is a, an incredibly high standard that we're called to. It, hurt, it hurts to love enemies. It isn't safe to love enemies. And it's scary to love enemies. Yet if we are to obey Jesus and love as he commanded us to love, if we are to love others instead of fearing them, we will extend this love even to those who are against us. Friends, you need to understand the Christian life is not a life that we're called to live in a comfortable life. We're not called to something that we're guaranteed we won't be hurt. Or we're not called to live a safe life. We're not called to live in a life where scary things won't happen. We're called to love other people, no matter the circumstance, no matter the cost. So Ed Welch, again, goes on to describe what it looks like to love our enemies and says, God says that you treat enemies the same way you treat friends and family. To love in this way, we, we need both power and discernment. We need power because we are incapable of loving the way Christ has loved us. We need discernment because it is sometimes difficult to know what form love should take. As a result, any time 
we are aware that we have specific enemies, we should seek counsel from the church in order to discern how to express that love. Friends, this is an important point. Love for enemies may take on different actions uh, than love for friends. Love for an enemy may include turning them over to earthly authorities if they have broken the law. It may mean physical separation to avoid further harm. If you struggle to know what love for your enemy should look like, speak to the elders or find a wiser Christian friend. Discuss these things. Our third category, unbelievers. Non-Christians could fit into several of these categories of people, but I think it's important, to, it's important enough to spend just a minute thinking about how we ought to love the lost. We should pray for them. We should be prepared to speak of the hope that is within us as Christians. We should be thoughtful towards them and not treat them like a gospel project. In a culture that grows increasingly hostile to Christians and the gospel, our non-Christian friends, neighbors, and enemies need our love and not our fear of them. Is there a non-Christian friend you need to share the gospel with? Do you need to first begin living a life of love and care towards them even as Christ has loved you? But maybe you're here and I actually just talked about you. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. I need you to understand this, if that's you. Being able to offer someone or another person true love without accepting the love that we find in Christ is simply impossible. For in Christ came fully God, yet subjecting himself to human form, because he loved us so much, he would offer himself to, as a sacrifice for our sins, our wrongdoings, so that we can understand what true love looks like and love that God has for his people. And we must express our love for Christ by repenting of our sins and trust that his death and his resurrection is enough to save our soul. And by doing this, we, begin, we can begin to love others because we now understand what true love looks like that we find in Christ. And friend, if that is you, please come find me after this if you want to talk about what it looks like to follow Christ. So our fourth category is neighbors. Neighbors. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So as Jesus teaches in the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is a catch-all category. There is no age, ethnic, socioeconomic, political, personality, or other, or other categorical boundary to whom we are expected to love as neighbor. Friends, neighbor is not the person next to your dorm room or the person across from your apartment. Neighbor is anyone who is created in the image of God. Those are the people we're called to love. That is your neighbor. Fifth category, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. The New Testament is full of how we are to relate to the family of God. In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, 
and especially to those who are the household of the faith. So one of the best tools that we have, friends, is how we love one another. We as Christians have a spotlight on us from our culture. And as I said earlier, earlier, our culture is growing more hostile to the Christian faith by the day. We will have influence because of the spotlight that's on us. But how will we use the spotlight? How will we use the spotlight? Guys, this is a huge opportunity that we find ourselves in today. You're finding that in culture, there's no room for this culture Christianity. You're either either a Christian or you're not. And true Christians are going to be having a spotlight on them because our culture wants to find you and say, look, he's a hypocrite. But how we act towards one another, the love that we show towards one another should be so dumbfounding to them and is so unexplainable that they should want to partake in that. They should want to partake in that. We should have this compelling community that our world looks like and doesn't understand, but yet wants to be a part of it. Welch goes on and says, I have spoken with many people who want to know their spiritual gifts. My impression is that this perspective represents a breakdown in the church. It reflects a church where we are running around as self-actualizing individuals rather than uniting as a God-glorifying community. Friends, the church is the place we are to demonstrate to a watching world what it means to live in love and not fear. To live in love and not So, on to the fourth point. What shape does loving and serving take? So, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the best texts to understand the shape our love and service should take one another's. Language you read, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 3 to 7, for us. So think about how you can begin applying these characteristics towards the people you fear. How is your love patient and kind? How does it bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? Write those things down. Pray these things. And also reflect the other parts of it, of this passage, where it says love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on our own way. It is not irritable or or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings. Do we do those things? Do we do those things? Let that be, let that, let that convict your, your heart. Ask someone to keep you accountable and think specifically how this applies to your life in the church. Consider how this should take shape in the church and how we are to show, uh, how we are to serve to show the gospel. 
If you're a member of this church, consider the covenant that we have made to each other. If we have committed a, a loving and caring for each other in the context of this particular church, like we ought to embody this kind of love. And friends, this age group, this, the college ministry, has actually been an incredible encouragement to me personally. I think we're a light in this church of what it means to serve. I think you guys are great. I want to encourage you guys in that and keep doing it. Others see it. Others see it. We love because he first loved us. The Christian's love for others is, is carefully and completely shaped and fashioned by, by Christ's love for us. The foundation of which we love others is Christ's love for us. So it leads me to my fifth point. What does it look like to love instead of fear and need? We are called to lives and relationships that will be messy. Friends, we are not called to live in isolation. The New Testament has no category for this Lone Ranger Christian. We are all called to live within the context of a local church. Loving and serving others will mean involving ourselves in the lives of others in ways that, we, that may be difficult and inconvenient to us. So three things to write down. Consider, here's one, consider your motivation even when it comes to loving and serving others. So even in our desire to love others, sometimes our desire to love can be bore out out of a desire to be loved. So how do you know? What is your response when someone doesn't respond to your love in the manner you desire? When you make a move of love towards another, and they respond with indifference, or worse, with anger? If you have clear expectations for how you want a person to respond to your love, and they don't respond in that manner, and you're devastated, there's a good chance you weren't acting primarily out of a genuine heart of love for them. Two, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. In Philippians 2, verses 3 to 7, Paul says, Do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally with, the, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself out or emptied himself by taking a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Friends, study the life of Christ. Notice the ways in which he loved and served others. When we consider the ways Christ humbled himself to others to love us, then we are left without excuse in our relationships with other people. We have no excuse not to love other people because of Christ's love for us. third point. Learn how to regularly pray for other people. So think about in our Sunday, in our main service, when Brad comes up to the pastoral prayer and he prays. What does he pray for? He prays for missionaries around the globe. He prays for our local and international authorities and governments. 
You know, pray for local churches around Fayetteville. You know, pray for the needs of his people within this body. You know, pray for other members just in general. And as we pray, as we think about praying for these people, pray for their relationship with God. Pray the Lord will give you a heart of love towards them. And pray that he will remove a heart that is driven by fear. And enlist others to pray that you will truly love others. And if you're like me and haven't loved others well, confess this to God and to the people you, have, uh, you don't love as you should. So as we begin to love others rather than fear him, we start to see genuine fruit that is produced of that in the lives of people. Last point on your handout. Results of loving and serving rather than fearing and needing. I want to focus on two, two results. First being unity. Unity. So as we seek to love and serve versus need and fear, we are able to pursue and experience a unity that should be manifest in the body of Christ. Unity does not mean just getting along. It means living in such a way that we are all focused first and foremost on Christ. As we collectively fix our eyes on Jesus, we find unity with one another. It is impossible to rightly address our horizontal relationships until we have established a right vertical relationship with God. So unity is formed when we love and serve rather than fearing and needing. Second result is genuine respect and appreciation of others. So as we grow in love towards others, it means we, we get to know them in deeper ways. It is interesting that we often fear others we really don't know. As we seek to love others in specific ways, as we seek to learn about them more deeply so that we can serve them more effectively, as we get out of our own selfish and self-protected little bubbles, we begin to see others in profoundly new ways. We begin to realize that instead of worshiping other people as false gods and idols, we start to see the ways that other people bear the image of God. We start to see others as distinct image bearers of God that we have been called to love and care as Christ has loved us. So are we to fear God just to fear him and to love others just to love them? No. There are greater things at stake. The glory of God is at stake. God has created us to know and worship him as Lord of glory and as the true God and Savior of all men. So when we fear him, we show his surpassing greatness and supreme excellency. As for love, Hear the words from our Savior. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. The public testimony of our love for each other is vindication to all that Jesus is worthy living for. So, Christian, if you're weary and doing good, do not lose heart. Your labor honors Christ and 
brings fame to his name. 